Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, we do a deep dive into the Camel Trophy Nick Dibbleby book launch event. We talk about Land Rover interiors and a very special Land Rovers in the movies. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the slam latch to Stephen's anti-burst latch, a tuck and roll of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike, it is that time of the week again where we sit down to discuss, uh, I don't know, whatever seems to come to mind. (laughs) The most glorious vehicle ever made in the history of mankind. Also, the worst vehicle ever made in the history of mankind. Simultaneously. And that's, that's what makes it so great. So speaking of the the best and worst thing uh, ever made, uh, this podcast that you're listening to right now, The Underpowered Hour, uh, if you didn't mean to turn into, to tune into The Underpowered Hour, uh, we'll give you time to stop and find something else. Joe Rogan is probably just two ticks down from where you are now. Um, but uh, we've just hit 10,000 streams. Today. Today, 10,000 streams. Yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, the, um, the interest in our podcast is really, uh, really picking up, and the number of stickers that, are, that people are buying is insanity. It is amazing. We, uh, we still have, although they are, they are honestly dwindling at a staggering rate, uh, some of the special edition stickers. We are going to be doing some special some special keepsakes for this holiday season, oh, yeah. uh, as well as a gift card. Someone asked me if I could uh, if I could create a gift card um, for the underpowered hour shop. I imagine because there's someone in that person's life that they uh, really don't like and want to uh, give them a gift they'll really hate. Uh, so if you have someone that uh, you know, perhaps you're uh, in a land dispute with or. Uh, you know, has stolen a uh, significant other from you in uh, in this past year. Uh, give the gift of an underpower houred gift card. Uh, that's a uh, something that uh, no one wants. <laughs> so that's what I thought, but it's not true. They're yeah, flying off the shelf. As it turns out, um, the we also have a a design for a holiday card uh, that Ooh. that's uh, we've been working on as well. I have to share that with you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think Can't you'll wait. like it. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're uh, we're going to do uh, yeah all kinds of special stuff on the shop. So uh, keep uh, your eyes open for yeah. Uh, yeah and if you if you stuff. get an opportunity and you do like the show, please leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. Oh yeah, it's the best thing you can do. Only positive comments though. Please don't need leave any <laughs> negative uh, comments. That doesn't really help us. Rate five stars. Smash that like button and subscribe. Um, but no, seriously, you can, uh, you can actually say that we're horrible and leave five. 
five stars. That's yeah, possible. that's fine. That's a good point, actually. Like, if you are going to leave a negative review, totally fine. <laughs> um, it, you just go ahead and rate that uh, five stars. If you want, think of it as rating your own review. Uh, you know, and I think you and I will both agree that your review was worth five stars at uh, how terrible we are at uh, at doing uh, this. So thank you all for sticking with us for uh, ten thousand streams. I believe that was actually my mom. 10,000 times just listening <laughs> to the episode uh, about Canada. Uh, at any rate, uh, so uh, we, over the next few episodes, are going to do a little deeper dive, if you will, uh, into our uh, whirlwind tour of the uh, United Kingdom. And if we saw you while we were in the UK, uh, thank you for your hospitality and for uh, taking us in and, uh, in Julian's case, protecting us from that pheasant. That thing uh, had a bloodlust in its eyes that uh, I have not, I've not seen before. It was terrifying. It it nearly severed my Achilles tendon on yeah. the way into the workshop. Yeah. Um, I'm not exaggerating either. The pheasants there are vicious and uh, impervious to uh, all manner of uh, poisons and weapons. There, it's true. They have yeah. a real real problem over there. Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah slowly overtaking. They thought it would be Brexit that would bring down uh, the United Kingdom. As it turns out, mm-mm, no militant pheasants. It's like 28 days later, only with like the avian version. They're oh, just yeah. birds yeah. everywhere. It's horrible. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, yeah, we went to the UK, if you didn't already know, and uh, we met lots of really great Land Rover folks. And over the next few episodes, we're going to talk about all those folks that we visit that were so great and so generous with their time and in some cases money. But uh, uh it was super fun. We uh, we did the uh, the one the one we're going to talk about today is the the Camel Club and uh, Nick Dimbleby's simultaneous event celebrating uh, the Camel Trophy event and also the release of Nick's new book, The Definitive History of the Camel Trophy. Which, if you haven't purchased it, definitely run out and buy that book because it. Uh, it's not going to be around. It's selling out. It sold yeah. out when we were at the show. Uh, if you, it's a wonderful book. So if you get a chance, uh, get one while yeah, they're available. It's, it's nineteen and a half pounds. So bringing uh, the number of them back from the uh, from from the UK that we did, it was a it was a huge journey. You're yeah. going to have to reinforce your coffee table for oh, this book. For sure. it's no, it's full uh, of really wonderful photos and a lot of uh, really neat information that was previously unpublished. Well, and so much about the early uh, the the GP the KV. Uh, you know our our good our good new friend uh, Andreas Bender, who we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment. But uh, you know the very first the origin of the Camel Trophy with those uh, German built jeeps uh, that were used uh, in the in the sort of first, if you will, Camel Trophy. The first thing that kind of looked like a Camel Trophy. There was a, a replica of that car uh, there. But uh, so much information in the book about that very early couple of years that you just sort of didn't have access to. That was never in the films in the you know that you would see or really even. On all in the racing magazines and things that you know camel trophy was popular uh in in the later part of the 80s so yeah it was really it was really cool i mean and what an incredible uh group of people the camel trophy club of uh of england uh of the world really they're not just of england but certainly of the uh you know the 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 mass of them are there in the uk uh got together with uh camel trophy competitor and winner uh bob ives uh on his uh, farm in rural england and oh boy was that farm in in rural England? Uh, the address was like Bob Ives Barn in Barntown, Sheepsville, somewhere. Yeah. But we found it, and uh, not only did we find it, we found uh, a huge display of camel vehicles, including 
basically all of the vehicles that have been used on the Camel Trophies, the Series, the Defenders, the Range Rovers, um, the 130s, the high capacity high capacity pickups the uh the boat there's like a speed yeah. boat that they use one year yeah. Yeah. um they uh they had uh displays of the kayaks and the mountain bikes and the equipment and uh, they really went all out and uh the number of competitors and camel trophy staff is unlikely to be equaled at any event in the future it's pretty amazing uh, the event that they put on really, uh, really impressed. It kind of became the sort of anniversary celebration they wanted to do in 2020, which I believe is the 40th uh, anniversary. They yes. uh, they wanted to do that at Easterner Castle in 2020, and they couldn't. They did it virtually, which I went to some of the stuff online and things, and it was awesome. They did a great. Chris and the gang did a did an awesome job of putting that event and Nick and everyone. Um, but uh, but I think this was sort of a little bit of a of a recap, if you will, or of a uh, second chance at doing uh, that event because. Man, I think there was, I, I believe I'm right in saying, there was a car representing every year, including the Jeep, every year of the Camel Trophy, or very close to, if not every year. Yeah, they had a they had a pretty good uh, display of those vehicles on hand, and some of them, admittedly, were were replicas. But yeah. uh, they really had a, a good and very thorough display representing all of the years of Camel Trophy and all of the different types of vehicles. So I was uh, I was impressed with the the show that they put on, and they had a you know panel discussion, and uh, they had a you know book signing with like some forty odd yeah. Camel Trophy yeah. competitors and staff and organizers, and you know lots of rem reminiscences of events and uh, crazy stories about happenings and, uh, you know, vehicle dramas and all of these things. So if you get a, a chance to uh, uh, look at the book and uh, also I, I think they're going to put some of those videos online. Yeah, and yeah. we have a we have a little bit of uh, video that we shot that I was actually just looking at today that uh, that we'll we'll get up there uh, on the uh, on the Instagram or something as well. But uh, yeah, you know what a uh, what a really cool uh, cool. There was some there was some very high end people there. The uh, the the me uh, Ike was there. Uh, if you don't know, that was pretty uh, <laughs> that was a pretty that was pretty special. It was pretty special for, for people to to see Ike in person. Um, uh, Jeremy Hart uh, was yeah. uh, was there, the famous automotive journalist uh, yep. who's done you know any number of expeditions for Land Rover and is a, a, a contributor to all kinds of uh, of different uh, articles. His and I think is it in Auto Week the column that he writes with Jay Leno. I don't remember what magazine. Yeah, it's I in. believe it's I, Auto I, Week. I, I mean, Maybe I don't know. Whatever it is, it's it's uh, it's it escapes me now. But because I read it online, so it's uh, you know this is the, the penalty of reading things online. I have no idea where they came from. But uh, you we know, we had his, some good long discussions with him, and he had some crazy stories about uh, you know. Uh, Driving what Aston Martins with Johnny Rotten and yeah, uh, porn yeah. stars and you know some really crazy stuff that uh, he Super has done crazy. over the years with the waggy cars and of course Camel Trophy and yep. Uh, yep. a lot yep. of uh, neat journalism opportunities that he's had over the years. Uh, super the, super uh, nice guy. Yeah, he did the Cross America, the Trans America Trail uh, yeah. with the Discoveries. I think it was Discoveries that did that uh, from east to west uh, and a number of other things. So we're gonna we're gonna get Jeremy on the show at some point. He said he'll come on and uh, and spend some time with. With us talk about all the uh, land. He really pleaded to be on. 
It was, uh, yeah, it got a little, it got a little weird. It got a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't wait to chat with him about that. And uh, we got the opportunity to meet um, Andreas Bender. Uh, For those of you that don't know, he was, uh, I guess, the organizer of the initial Camel Trophy event with the Jeeps and uh, Amazonia, I believe it's referred to as. And uh, he was a very interesting person. You know, he's a a, kind of lives a nomadic lifestyle. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have like a necessarily a home base. He travels between different parts of the world and and stays there he has a farm in jamaica and yeah I think he was heading to India. jamaica when we uh when we left him uh yeah admittedly he we like, left him in like the middle of a field in england so i'm not sure yeah, if he made it know, but ho- hopefully he seems like he has a good sense of direction yeah he's pretty good at navigating he is. Yeah, I think he is. But uh, yeah, he had all kinds of great stories. um, And he also is interested in being on the show. But uh, certainly throughout his uh, time doing adventure travel, he has met some very interesting people. And uh, he suggested that we uh, have this fellow who was um, a trainer of African elephants, who walked across the United States with three elephants and uh, in an attempt to, I guess, rehome them in, uh, in African game parks at some time. I don't know exactly know how that works. It sounds a lot like the plot of the Bill Murray movie, uh, uh, what is that? Operation Dumbo Drop uh, or something? Operation Dumbo Drop. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. based on a true story, I guess. I just didn't realize it. Yeah, I did. I, apparently, it's Andreas's friend, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, a very interesting story that he mm-hmm. had to to tell us about that. And mm-hmm. then he also suggested that we visit him in Jamaica and uh, visit his friend, who is the uh, world's foremost collector and artist specializing in erotic art and he yeah. has 200 acres of erotic art there in Jamaica. It was unclear to me in my conversation with Huntress about that if it uh, was that 200 acres in that he stores his art flat in a field somewhere and like it's visible from space or it's simply he has so much that he stopped uh, you know sort of counting in his individual pieces and simply goes into uh, just square acres of of art. I I think that he has some huge installations, if you know what I mean, and uh, <laughs> and uh, he has like a gar- like a literally uh, an erotic art garden or something yep. there in yep. Jamaica. He and uh, I'm sure I'm sure that's something to see. But oh, um, we're gonna that'll be our next trip is a, uh, a trip through the erotic <laughs> art collection of Andreas's Jamaican friend. Uh, yeah, no, uh, super interesting stories, man. That guy has uh, has lived uh, an absolutely uh, spectacular life. It has yeah. been uh, real good, real good. Some real good stories, and uh, yeah, we're gonna get Andreas on the show as soon as he's in a place where they have internet and and phones and and things, and uh, maybe maybe he can get be back dropped by some erotic art you know we can get some taste we, we can we can <laughs> we can yeah. only hope yeah we can only know. hope but a uh, super yeah. neat guy really uh he really is and uh uh has a a lot of wonderful stories about camel trophy and and other adventure travel throughout the world so uh i look forward to having him on the show and uh i think we're gonna post up some more pictures of our yeah. camel event we've got a little bit the, we've got a few more pictures Instagram. Um, yeah. we've got some video uh yeah. of some of the cars we've got a video of the full line uh chronologically ordered uh 
Camel Trophy cars. As I said, there was a bunch of uh, replica cars there as well. There was a gentleman that I spent some time with uh, who has replicated uh, a Camel Trophy Defender with the brand new uh, Defender, not the newest, but the the last line of classic Defenders. So a 2016 uh, Puma Defender. Uh, that was actually in the Land Rover owner magazine, uh, the write-up about uh, he'd completely disassembled the car uh, to the frame, had every panel painted inside and out in sand glow, and then rebuilt it and, uh, you know, equipped it as if you were going to go on to a Camel Trophy expedition today, which I think is kind of a fun thing. Like, what if Land Rover had kept doing it at the level they were doing it in the 1990s all the way through 2016? Uh, you know, with the more modern Defender, you'd have a different sort of set of tools. You'd have more modern GPS and things. And it was really cool. He uh, he also owned the uh, the Camel Trophy uh, rib, the 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 uh, year 2000 boat, the Honda boat, which, man, I want one of those things so bad. The problem is they don't quite fit in a container. It's just not, you can't quite kind of get it in there. Uh, or, you know, I might. We'll, we'll get Alex and Rob on that. Yeah, they'll get it in there. They'll, get they'll, they'll get it in there. Yeah, no, it, it, no, no problem. No problem. Alex well, and uh, Rob will bring it as carry-on onto an airplane somehow. They, that brings up a good point. The, the One of the vehicles that was featured there at the event was the new Trophy yeah. Edition Classic right. Defender from Land Rover Classic, and so that has the Works V8 in it, yeah. and it has specially prepared Trophy Edition features. Mm-hmm. And so, not only did we get to see that, uh, you know, driving there at the event, our our friend Michael Bishop uh, brought that from Land Rover Classic. We also got to see the, all of those vehicles in production yep. at. Land Rover Classic, and we'll talk about our visit to Land Rover Classic and uh, Special Vehicles SVO yeah. on a, on a future episode. On an upcoming episode, yeah, and it was very cool. It was neat to see all those sand glow cars in a Land Rover manufacturing facility. That hasn't happened in a very long time. No. Since, since 1999 was the last time they wild. did that. So, yeah, so very cool, uh, very cool to see that. But, I, I mean, the you know, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention, of course, that this took place on uh, our, our good new friend, Bob Ives uh, Farm, uh, winner of the uh, Camel Trophy for uh, the United Kingdom, uh, 1989, and, uh, 1989, and a great year. And all around, uh, all around, good guy, man. What a uh, what a fantastic uh, compound of uh, amazing Camel Trophy stuff. They had uh, his barn done up as a small stage and bar and uh, museum of Camel Trophy, uh, you know, paraphernalia, some ephemera ephemera some a shirt from nearly every uh event if not one from every event lots of like i said bikes and kayaks and and that sort of stuff from the later events bog as well clog. as bog clog we have a great picture with ike the bog clog i'm gonna put that on instagram it's real it's real good <laughs> it's real good um and they also uh were talking about the brand new Camel Trophy Archive, which is online. Uh, if you search Camel Trophy Archive, um, you can uh, essentially sort of sign up to look through all of the digitizing work that the Camel Trophy Club, Chris and the gang there, Chris and Nick and everyone at the Camel Trophy Club, has been doing for the past several years. They've been uh, scanning slides and uh, film and documentation from the events. And uh, it's all uh, eventually uh, going to be available online. And a huge amount of it uh, is available online now. And if you are a a camel trophy aficionado, uh, you must uh, go take a visit over there because it's really cool. 
they've got some neat photos. And certainly if you own a Camel Trophy vehicle or if you own a piece of Camel Trophy stuff, um, you know, you can go in and sort of search for your vehicle or or your event day. They have a lot of this stuff, the trials uh, from the Thousands training events. of previously unpublished photos. Yeah. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. Yeah. They said like 60,000 photos, I think. Yeah. It's no, pretty it's, amazing. It's nuts. I mean, it is really, it's really, really neat. Really a neat service. And the Camel Trophy Club, if you're not a member um, or, uh, you know, you should, you should think about it because it's a, it's a great service. They have all of the GAC, of course, in the store, which is really neat, all the different stickers and everything. But they also provide really great forum for those who own Camel Trophy trucks and, uh, and things like that. But also people who are just interested in it, just like the event and, um, you know, like the stuff that uh, that goes with it so uh, i am a big uh, fan i'm a member uh, and uh, and i love those guys they've been uh, they've been super helpful to uh, myself and to people looking to uh, buy a, a camel uh, car if you have always wanted one uh, it's a great place to start looking they are a super friendly group and uh, yeah worth uh, worth the visit so yeah it was a great uh, day uh, at the event a great breakfast the next morning we got a chance to uh, see Nick's 100 inch uh, defender which is very cool Nick Dimbleby which of course was the reason that we were there for Nick's uh, book launch uh, which uh, which we, we neglected to highlight um, but uh, you know Nick's book launch uh, there was a big signing there uh, there was some great panel sort of discussions with everyone who was there from the event who'd been on the event. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the next morning we got a chance to see uh, Nick Dimbleby's 100-inch Defender, which used to be a Range Rover and is now a, a sort of, uh, you know, a, a homage vehicle to the 100-inch uh, Defender uh, vehicle. So it's a very cool, very cool car. Uh, very neat. And uh, that extra, you know, that extra 10 inches is uh, makes all the difference. It's a really neat looking car. It is very cool. We're going to take a very quick break to hear from this sponsor. And now back to the show. So uh, we will continue our discussion of our whirlwind trip to London. But uh, right now, let's uh, let's do a tip-top tech tip. A tip-top tech tip on upholstery. Yeah. So I know that uh, you know lots of people struggle with uh, with upholstery and seats and uh, and the uh, nine hundred little trim panels on the inside of uh, of your Land Rover and uh, you know first off I a question uh, for you um, on uh, headliners because I know that I get uh, questions uh, a lot about well what is the what is the the best material to use there what's the most original material where do you get it how do you do it is it's something you do yourself do you send it off to somebody so what's your what's your take on the uh on the on the headliner that uh that uh vinyl-esque material uh, that we find above us in our series land rovers well i would say that uh, that the material itself is really important to a good result you know the the primary headliner in series Land Rovers is a suspended headliner. That is to say, it has its own framework. Yeah. And so it's not glued or pasted into the roof of the vehicle like, uh, you know, some Range Rovers and some other cars yeah. are. Uh, so it's a suspended headliner. And so it has a framework of its own that supports it. Um, so uh, the material is important. And the reason for that is that the weight of the material will 
uh, prevent it from hanging or, or right. looking correct. So, you know, frequently what you find in a, res- a lot of restored series Land Rovers is people are using upholstery vinyl mm-hmm. to do the headliners, mm-hmm. and it's too heavy. And so it sags, and it's poofy, and it's it looks weird, it hangs weird, it behaves oddly, it mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, uh, sit under the trim rings for the tropical vents, it doesn't right. sit in the corners, it's too bunchy, it's too, it's too heavy, it's too thick. Yeah. And so uh, headliner vinyl is a specific way to vinyl and Mm. you don't want to mix the two so you don't want to put headliner vinyl on your seats it won't last because it's not designed to support the weight of a person and it's not designed for that heavy wear so headliner vinyl is its own thing and uh, the the land rover series vinyls there's a couple different ones that were used at different periods Mm -hmm. the most common one is like a a white or or light ivory Mm -hmm. material and it has a very fine grain to the vinyl Mm -hmm. and the most or the closest that we've been able to find to that original material is actually a German product. And so we get that and we can sell it to you if you decide that you want original type material, but it is a German product. It's used on some German cars of that, of that period, you know, the sixties. And so that material is what we use in Land Rover headliners. And so most of the cars we're working on are, are series, like the earliest ones are series one wagons and the, the short wheelbase wagons don't have a headliner, but the long wheelbase series one, uh, vehicles they have a headliner so starting about 1956 through about um let's see the early 70s yeah. you've got that that uh, i guess the the late 2a's in the north mm-hmm. american market so starting in about 68 they start yeah. to get the what's called the oatmeal, oatmeal material yeah. yeah and so that oatmeal material goes through into the series threes mm-hmm. and that is kind of like a slightly tanner material with mm-hmm. little flex in yep. it little brownie and, kind of flex yeah Yes, and that material can be sourced, but it is harder to get than the the earlier white vinyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the cars we work on, the, they're the North American specification wagons. Uh, that's primarily what got the headliners, and so that's what we use. And so when we do those headliners, um, you know, we we do two ways. You know, uh, there's a little bit of variation, especially in the back panel, kind mm-hmm. of where Land Rover screwed the headliner to the roof. Mm-hmm. So you got to measure between those holes to make sure, like the mounting holes, to make sure that you get the right length of mm-hmm. material. Because they're not kind of a one-size-fits-all. If you take one vehicle and you make the headliner for that, it's not necessarily going to work on another vehicle because it was just it was people installing that trim, yeah. not robots. Yeah. And so when they installed the trim, sometimes it's a little different, you know. And it's a little tricky getting that uh, headliner up into those back corners. It takes a little bit of a of a, a patience and a little bit of a a little bit of a measured hand to get uh, to get it to fit just right. Otherwise, yeah, Absolutely. you get a little disconnection of the backing board and the frame around the back, and then it kind of there's a little pooky hole in the back or something, or a little droopy bit, and it's a real yeah. bummer. It, you do have to take some time with it, but the result is pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, like it's it's not really pleasant to be driving around in a car where the the that horsehair underlayment is like hanging down and dripping little bits of you know whatever mouse droppings and yeah. mold. And oh. you know, if, if you have a nice clean interior, have a nice clean space to drive the car, it makes it a lot more pleasant. So the headliner, that's kind of the the gist of you know the headliner project. Obviously, there's there's a lot more to it than what we can describe in a few minutes. On 
Um, but uh, those are the basics and the, the material choice is really key to having a good result. Because if you get the wrong material, it's never going to It's be never right. going to look right. And then you come down the sides of the car onto, you know, a little bit later cars, you'll have door cards and sometimes that poofy door armrest thing, um, as well as little bits of, of trim around the, the windows and things. And, and that is primarily the same material, right? From sort of the sides of the cars are that are that particular vinyl. You know, you, you, all of the wagons and deluxe hardtops have that trim. So they have the door trims, which is three pieces in the front. And um, that all that is uh, on the on the uh, cars that have it, it's mm-hmm. the same as the seating upholstery. Mm-hmm. So it's designed for, you know, putting your arm on the windowsill or on the armrest, or it, it has a little bit more wear characteristics to it. So it is that thicker vinyl a little bit. Early cars, it's usually you know, series ones, it's the check vinyl mm-hmm. or it's the body colored vinyl, like green, blue, red. If you have a, a, a rare red car or a, mm-hmm. a fire appliance or something like that. And then you move into the elephant hide with the series two through about 1967 and 68, they, mm-hmm. they transition over to black vinyl and it stays black vinyl through the series three production. So obviously black vinyl, no problem there. Uh, elephant hide, we've got a really great reproduction that we sell on the elephant hide to reproduce those cars. And that's that I, I'm sorry. When I said uh, series two, I, I meant that uh, those cars use the elephant hide, but elephant yeah. hide was actually introduced in the series one range. Hmm. And so it was used from about uh, 1956-ish, something like that, at least here in the North American market. Um, some cars got check vinyl, uh, some depends on the availability over. of elephants to get that. Uh, uh, that yeah, that's actually say. a misnomer. That's actually a misnomer. <laughs> it's actually hippopotamus hide. Oh, they just call it elephant hide. Oh, right, right. I mean, the hippopotamus is much cheaper to get. Quite it frankly, it is. It they, is. You know, it's much, much yeah. less expensive, and that's what Land Rover used. Yeah. Exactly, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the key to having uh, good seats in a Land Rover is having a good substrate to put that vinyl over, right. yeah. you know. And so the, the early cars use foam. You know, mm-hmm. the Series 1s, they have foam for their their seat bottoms. And what kind of foam was that? What foam was available in I the 19... I'm so, ah. so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Because it is a product called Dunlop Pillow. Oh, and, like Dunlop Pillow, like is in the Dunlop tire people? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So they made the Series 1 uh, foam seats, and it's they a molded as, product. As, it was an early version of the My Pillow, actually. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Funny enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. They, uh, you know... Mike uh, Lindell. Also... <laughs> thought Mike Lindell's great great grandfather uh you know uh, also an early advocate for Brexit was uh yeah it was uh, hawking uh, pillows and they're like you couldn't possibly lay on this but sit on it now sit on it now you're in business so uh you know the the seating substrate is important so if you get it too soft or too hard or whatever it's going to be unpleasant you're going to yeah. sink down into the seat and hit the seat box or mm-hmm. you're never going to feel you know like it gives at all so mm-hmm. It's a medium density foam, and um, it's a the original stuff is a, a molded urethane foam, I believe, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that is kind of a more expensive foam. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're making your own seats or having them made, the you know really pay attention to the thickness of the foam. You know, a lot of the aftermarket seat suppliers, uh, you know, we won't name names, but uh, the seats are are too hard and too yeah. thick, and yeah. so you sit up too high. It's hard to see out of the windshield. It's uncomfortable. You know, and so you know, pay attention to the foam when you're redoing the seats on those early cars. You know, those mid. 
uh, middle of the road cars, those series twos, two A's, mm-hmm. you know, they have springs in the seats. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a whole nother ball game. Like a weird box spring mattress under there. It is a, yeah. it's a strange combination of, uh, of carpentry and steel under there. Yeah. You've got the wood base and then yeah. you've got the springs over the top and then you've got, um, you know, the, the linen over yeah. that and yeah. then batting. And it's a actually very thin amount of padding between the vinyl and the springs. You can yeah. actually kind of see the edges yeah. and uh, they are very comfortable. They have mm-hmm. lots of give to them, but I think there's a tendency for people, especially upholsters to overstuff those mm. so that you can't, you can't see those square edges. And if you look at the, you know, press photos from the period, those seats are very square. Yeah. You know, the edges are very apparent and they, um, you know, they look very basic, but it is a complicated, uh, precise task to get those the stitching right, make them look really basic and Spartan, but still be comfortable and not have that overstuffed, thick, you know, poofy, marshmallowy appearance. And the deluxe seats, is there anything that makes them deluxe besides the pleating? Is there anything better about the frame or uh, about the amount of padding or anything? Or is it literally just that it has the pleats in the seat and the back? No, that's pretty much it. You know, the deluxe seats came out uh, in the like negative ground cars. You Mm -hmm. start to see those deluxe seats with the pleating and those pleats are stitched into the seats. A lot of the reproductions, it's just like heat welted, you know, it's kind Mm -hmm. of a decorative thing Mm -hmm. and so the originals are actually stitched Stitched and the original ones are very comfortable the bolsters are quite deep the foam is is pretty forgiving and they actually have a metal panel under the seat and that gives it uh, a little bit of expansion for the air gives it a little bit more room for that foam to sit into so if you can rebuild the original cushions whether they're spring or foam um, that it makes the best seat because all these aftermarket suppliers are not good yeah, my two A's uh, deluxe seats, you know, they're what, from the 1960s and still super comfortable. You know, I mean, that car doesn't have they a ton are. of mileage on it, uh, so the seats aren't aren't all that worn. And man, they are, they are super comfortable. I they had are. my uh, my Series 3 at some point in its ownership. Someone had changed out for more modern high-back seats. And that mm-hmm. car is less comfortable with the modern high-back seats in it than my 2A is with Absolutely. the original factory uh, deluxe seats in it. So uh, just because it doesn't, you know, the Defender seats look like they would be more comfortable. And let me tell you, dear listener, the Defender seat is the least comfortable seat that Land Rover has ever made. <laughs> I, I, I like the Defender seat, but I dislike those after market highback seats yeah so the, the newest defender seats are amazing i think the yeah. nas seat and mine are worn out so maybe it's a it's not a totally fair comparison but on a real long trip the uh the back support on the nas seat yeah i would almost prefer the no upper back support of the yeah. deluxe seat to the sort of weird back support i feel like they lean back too much the headrest is always like in the middle of your lower neck vertebrae <laughs> yeah, it's i never mean it's just like you'd want it yeah it's not like a safe seat no in no any not, really. not at all and i i have a uh, well you've seen that my defender has the uh, has uh, actually a boat cover seat uh, you know cover on it it's made out of the same things you make a boat cover out of and that kind of makes it into a uni seat which is a little better because you've got a little bit more support in between your your neck and the uh, and the top of the seat i find it's a little bit more comfortable but anyways um and i think like one thing you mentioned but but i think is really worth talking about is that uh those few cars that did have colored seats the uh the early series uh, one cars that had uh, colored seats and getting uh, just the right green, just the right blue, or the extraordinarily rare 
or just right uh, red, uh, a really exceptional restoration, especially or even just making, uh, you know, a, a, an original patina car, uh, you know, feel great if the seats are just totally gone or, or totally destroyed. Having that perfect color uh, really sets it off. I mean, that makes a big difference. It does. It really makes the car really nice to be in and sit in. And uh, those the seats and those vinyls were pretty high quality for the period. And we actually spent a lot of time the last few weeks trying to replicate the original red. The original red was like a pretty high texture vinyl. Yeah. You know, a, a very yeah. pebbly high texture mm-hmm. vinyl. And, you know, those companies that do reproduce those, they make them in an absolutely smooth red. And it just loses that feel, that yeah. depth, that texture yeah. that that the originals have. So we spent a lot of time the last month uh, uh, replicating that. And we have a really good red seating we've got a few red cars that we're doing um patina restorations on at the shop right now and we're like what are we going to do for these seats we can't put these uh you know horrible aftermarket yeah. vinyls in these cars we really really want to take it up a notch and so we did and we found something that's really good i'm really happy with it hope to put that on our instagram pretty soon mm-hmm. uh, we'll have that material in those seats uh so that's going to look really nice. Um, but you're right. There's a, there's several early vinyls. One of the more interesting ones is called Tygen. Mm. And that material is actually woven. It's actually woven Ooh. vinyl. So instead of being like a, a traditional um, you know, vinyl that's made out of one continuous piece of material, it's actually individual threads of vinyl in that are woven into a pattern that looks almost like a hound's tooth. Oh, yeah. And and they they didn't survive very well. They weren't right. very durable seats. But man, are they a cool looking seat? They mm-hmm. are really neat. Uh, when we were in England, if you remember, we saw um, a 107 pickup truck, a deluxe model yeah. in the classic JLR showroom, mm-hmm. and they had a, a version of that Tygen seat oh. that they had reproduced on mm-hmm. that car. Mm-hmm. It had blue door panels and blue dash coverings yeah. and uh, so forth. But uh, the seats themselves, if you uh, if you look back at those pictures, those are yeah, the Tygen seats those are pretty cool cool. yeah and then they have the check vinyl which is uh, that's kind of a a middle uh series one seat pattern it's kind of a hash it almost looks like tiny little hashtags on a gray green vinyl Mm -hmm. we have a few cars at the shop right now that have that check vinyl interior also very handsome color yeah very combination uh, yeah cool looking well there you go i i think it's uh you know it's an underrated uh area of the car and it's not necessarily that difficult to get a high quality seat get some high quality trim pieces again the correct headliner and it makes an enormous difference you get into a car that has had the uh, interior uh, appointed correctly and not just bought the $40 seats you can get from some guy on eBay, which there's always some guy selling deluxe Land Rover seats for $30 a seat. If your seat is $30 a seat, it's probably not going to be the highest quality thing in the world. So No. And it's something that you sit on the whole time that you're using the car. So you are going to wear it, and uh, it definitely makes sense to invest in a good seat and the right texture, like you said, a good textured vinyl that is correct to the car feels very rich and very elegant. Whereas, you know, a, a sort of off the shelf vinyl, you know, feels like you're at a Denny's, you know, it feels like the yeah. material they make a booth out of, uh, at, you know, they make the booths out of a Denny's. So it uh, definitely makes a, makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, how many times in the life of the car are you going to recover the seats? One, yeah. two, you know, yeah. uh, it's not that many. And if you do a good job, take care of the seats, it's going to last a really long time. It's yeah. a it's a good investment in a, in a vehicle that you're going to keep a long time. So speaking of the booths at Denny's, uh, Land Rovers in the movies slash 
I would say, sort of famous Land Rover owner as well. This actually came in uh, from a listener, uh, and we always appreciate that, uh, a comment about uh, one, actually a few movies, uh, some we have in the archive already. We put them into the machine uh, for later, but uh, a comment on a very famous uh, Land Rover uh, movie, as well as, like I said, sort of an adjacent famous Land Rover owner, and that movie, Ike, is Cliffhanger. The yes. Sylvester Stallone rock climbing spy thriller. I don't exactly sort remember. Of a, sort you know? of a heist movie, rock yeah. rock yeah. rock climbing heist movie. You yeah. know, yeah. I think the gist of it is that uh, rock climbers, um, you know, kind of find themselves in the middle of an international sort of heist for government, like thousand dollar bills or hundred thousand yeah. dollar bills or yeah. something like that. And there's planes and there's plane crashes and helicopters, helicopters oh, yeah. and automatic weapons. But at any rate, in the beginning of the movie, Sylvester Stallone, um, you know, he's he's kind of like the cool guy rock climber that had a uh, accident in his past, and so he's a uh, sort of a, a black sheep in the climbing community he's uh, traveling along in his series 3 109 marine blue station wagon yeah it's and a very cool car very cool it, car. it appears a couple times in the movie yep. and uh you know it's it's one of those 80s action flicks mm-hmm. that is uh it's simultaneously fun to watch but also forgettable and terrible yeah all at the same time and, and apparently sly uh on the sly uh, made off with that uh, with that car. So so legend has it that uh, that he uh, he somehow acquired that vehicle from allegedly. the production. Allegedly drove it away. And allegedly, that, uh, that's maybe happened a couple of other times. Uh, maybe he has some Judge Dread one hundred ones. We don't know. Yeah, you know, uh, interestingly enough, Land Rover's feature in several of his films, uh, Judge Dredd being one of them, our good friend Philip at uh, Dunsfold was responsible for putting together a number of those cars, 30-odd of them for the Judge Dredd film, which we've discussed at length. That's one of uh, uh, Stephen's obsessions is the Judge Dredd 101. favorite Land Rover, of course, the uh, Judge (laughs) Dredd uh, 101. We got a great photo of uh, the Judge Dredd 101 and Ike at the – at the British Heritage, uh, British Motor Heritage Museum, uh, this past week. So I'll definitely have to uh, put that up onto the uh, onto the uh, the old Instagram. So and, and those cars, uh, two of them at least, uh, allegedly followed uh, Sylvester Stallone home. So maybe those yep. are still in and about and around. Uh, and then in the Expendables, I believe also, which we'll we'll maybe uh, talk about in the future. There's oh, yeah. a, a number of Land Rovers featured in those movies as well. Yeah, so, so Sylvester Stallone, big, uh, big uh, fan a, of the brand. He's got a penchant for those. Well, you know how uh, who can uh, who can blame him? Uh, you know, it's a it's a great car, and uh, you know, if I was pretending to be a, a world famous uh, rock climber with a shadowy past, I would probably drive a uh, you know a Series Three Land Rover uh, as well. I'm not that, and I drive a Series Three Land Rover. So there you go. You, you better never edit know. your Wikipedia because I'm pretty sure that's what it says. Sketchy True. rock climber guy, <laughs> rock climber Steven with a Barris. dark past. That's every <laughs> movie in the '80s, like some uh, you know sort of uh, popular sport of the day person with a dark past is in the middle of some kind of international something so it's always the reluctant hero and they're approached by like uh, their former commanding officer mm-hmm. we just need you to come back into the service for mm-hmm. one last mission mm-hmm. you've described kurt russell in every single kurt russell movie so yeah that's great that's exactly right he's not going to do it he's not coming back and then he does and then he saves the day and then there's a sequel and the whole thing just repeats over again but you know what that's uh that's what made the 
80s great. We just yeah, kind of like didn't the care. dinosaurs are loose again. Yeah. With somehow, somehow we did this gone. I've said this is the again. last time after what happened last <laughs> summer. There's no way I could ever go back to Dinosaur Island. Cut to <laughs> Dinosaur Island. Yeah, it's no, it's a it's a pretty good formula. I really think we should just go back to that. Let's uh you know, let's just start making Demolition Man again. I think that was really Ooh, the, that uh, needs to be rebooted. Watermark. Was a high watermark. So. The only the only franchise to survive the franchise wars was Taco Bell. That's every restaurant is a Taco Bell. <laughs> And I think, you know what, that's probably going to be true. Let's be honest. Do we deserve as a civilization better than Taco Bell? I think not. I think not. So <laughs> on that, Ike, it has been uh, a pleasure as always. Uh, again, we have a limited number of special edition stickers. In fact, somebody just bought, as we were speaking, some more special edition stickers. So there's even less than They're when we started fast. this podcast. They're going fast. Take a look at the shop. We're going to put up Individually serial number decals. They are not that, but... You've got to uh, look really I, close. You've you got to look really re- close. It's really, really tiny, but I have individually rubbed each one of them slightly. So there's, uh, as I'm closing <laughs> the envelope, so there's a tiny bit of, uh, you know, of, I, I don't know, of whatever was on my hands that day. So enjoy that. Hopefully you Ew. don't contract some kind of really debilitating uh, disease. Maybe sanitize them when you get them. That's fine. You know, couldn't couldn't hurt in this day and age. But uh, Ike, it's been a pleasure as always, and uh, we'll uh, see you uh, next week. All right, Stephen, I'm looking forward to it. Take care. Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook. <laughs>